Everybody, it's Pete. I'm kind of on vacation right now. Marissa is on vacation next week for sure. She's going to like a place with sun and water and shit. But for this week's episode, we wanted to put out something that would show you all what we have going on behind the scenes at Patreon. We actually have a few different tiers to choose from if you wanted to get more of the content that you're hearing in this episode. At our $1 level, you become a loyal listener. At the $2 level, you will become a lovely listener. At $5, you become part of the family, and at $20 a month, we call that y'all want to be heard, meaning we will be happy to promote a product, a a project that you're working on, whatever. Uh, We don't have anybody at that one, but we welcome everybody at all of our other ones. Once in a while, we will hold back something from the $1 people and give it to the $2 and $5 people, but it's pretty rare. So if you want to donate a dollar to us at patreon.com slash y'all heard, then you'll be able to hear a few things on a regular basis. For this episode, you're going to hear a Pete's preview for the movie called Tetris. That's where I watch a preview. These are video extras, but for the sake of the podcast, I figured I'd just put out the audio. You'll also hear an episode of Marissa Reviews a Show. This is going to be a classic one where she reviews Milf Manor, the first episode of Milf Manor. That's the premise of that show. She watches the first episode, or I should say one episode of a show, and then gives you her review on it. Another Marissa bonus that you'll hear is Riss's Gossip Grill, where she peruses the gossip pages and gives you a report of what's going on so that you have something to talk about with strangers that isn't related to politics or anything really divisive. And lastly, a monthly show for me is called Pete Ruins a Movie. That's where I watch a movie that you shouldn't have to watch, and I tell you what goes on in it. So that if people are talking about it around you, then you will be somewhat privy to what's going on. Sometimes it might be so bad that you'd be interested in seeing it, but other times it might be so bad that you'll be like, man, I'm glad I didn't have to do that. But I'm also glad I have some cultural touchstones so that I can participate in conversation with other people. I guess our entire Patreon is designed around making you fit in with strangers. (laughs) At any rate, enjoy the show. Coming up first, we got to hear that review of Milf Manor. She's from Long Island and the Poconos. Marissa reviews a show. Guys, it's time for another Marissa reviews. Um, I have not done this in a very long time, but I feel like I need to let everyone know that this show exists. Um, this is my first time seeing it, but I've heard about it for a long time and nothing prepared me for what it was. So, um, let's get into MILF Manor. Yeah, you heard me right. M-I-L-F. I guess what does it stand for? Mom, I'd like to fuck. MILF Manor on Discovery Plus. So if you've never heard about MILF Manor, um, it's basically a dating reality show where women in uh let's say in their 50s or late 40s so middle-aged women are there to date younger men um so show starts like any other show like the women all meet each other and then suddenly they're about to be surprised by their pool of young eligible bachelors and the twist is when they reveal all the men all of the young men are the sons of the women on this show. So basically it's a big pool of moms and a big pool of sons and they're all supposed to find their matches in that pool. Um, if I'm to believe that no one really knew that this was the outcome, I mean, one of the mothers says like, 
oh, I was told that me and my son would be on a dating show, but I thought we would both be, you know, like in, I guess, like adjacent dating shows or like just separate dating pools. And somehow it would like they would be woven into one another. But they definitely did not know that like their son would be in their own dating pool. Okay, so now I'm a few more than a few minutes in and now the ladies and the sons are all like mingling seeing who really like hits it off with who and this show has so many layers like it'd be one thing if it was a show with older women and younger men which by the way i saw another show i don't remember what it's called like like getting in the groove with tay Diggs or something it was about like older women getting their groove back but it was women like Maybe in their early 40s, they didn't really seem that old. And, and believe me, I don't, I don't care. I mean, I'm not ageist. Young people can be with old people all they want. But this show, the age differences are way more pronounced than in that other show I saw. Like, this one woman, I don't know if she's in her mid or late 50s, but the guys here are like, they're not even like late 20s. One of them is 20, one is 21, one is 22. Like, they all look like babies. And not only that, like they're there with their mom. So like think about it. If you're if you're a dude and you're with your mom and then you see like this young dude like trying to, you know, like play games with your mom and all these other women, like you're going to be like like protective of your mom. So these guys are already like they're like torn between like, "Oh, should I hit on these older women or should I like be like, "Yo, bro, get away from my mom." So it's like there's so many emotions and so much weirdness at play right now. And I can't, I can't at all be like, ooh, this is a sexy show. Cause it's real gross. But that being said, I am very attracted to two of the young men. So it's making it very uncomfortable to watch cause this is a really gross show, but I think two of the dudes are really hot. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. <clears throat> so the first little challenge of the show, cause there's always like challenges in these shows is all of the guys need to stand shirtless and the mothers need to feel up the abs of all the guys. And if they can identify while blindfolded, which body is their sons, they get first pick at the suites that they'll be living in. Now, uh, mind you, they are roommates with their sons. So that's fun. Uh, so yeah, if they, can the first two women that can identify their sons just from touching their pecs um they get the best rooms that have like jacuzzis and saunas in them which just seems gross because the room is really like ooh, like sexy but they're in there with their sons so i guess the idea is like they'll bring someone back there and like have sexy time then i guess you'll have to be like oh son can you like leave the room for a bit while i bang your bro okay if part of this seems a little disjointed, just know that I am recording this in segments because I just need to, like, stop and compose myself every so often. So I just finished the first episode. Um, after the whole feeling up each other's chests, we started seeing people go out on dates. And now we have two mothers that are, like, going head-to-head -head because the one wild lady has started hitting on this one really gentle guy and the gentle guy's mother like can't stand watching it and the wild woman like knows that she's like triggering the mom and she's kind of like throwing it in the mom's face but it's absurd because she's like acting like it's a competition but like 
You're not competing with his mom. His mother doesn't want to fuck him. I don't know. It's so crazy. Guys, I'm just going to admit it. I started this thinking I was going to hate it. I'm riveted. <laughs> I am in love with this show. I will say 50% is because I find two of the guys extremely hot. And I never find people hot on these dating shows. I don't even... I don't even know. But we won't get into that. But... In, like, The Bachelorette and other dating shows, usually the women try to be civil with each other. Usually there's, like, one or two villains every season. But generally in the day-to-day, the women try to be friends. These mothers are not fucking friends with each other. Like, they're all coming in hot. Um, They all are, like, full of themselves. Most of them got, like, clearly a lot of plastic surgery done. And they just come in with, like, a certain entitled attitude. And they are just, like... Oof. Wow, guys, watch this show. It's so gross. It's so weird. It's so uncomfortable. It's also so riveting. This is the wildest reality show I think I've ever seen. And I love it, and I'm definitely watching it, but I'm definitely only watching it um, maybe in secret. Okay, bye. What's up, guys? It's time for trailers. Uh, This is Pete. Let's do it. We're going to look at Tetris and the Boston Strangler. Um, gonna go with Tetris first, just cause it seems like it's probably gonna be the more absurd of the two. Uh, I, I imagine most people are like, oh my god, they made a tri- a movie about Tetris. What? That's also kinda what I'm coming into it with, but that's not a hot take, so let's just see what we got. Tetris? Tetris. 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 It's the perfect game. Is it the perfect game? Is Tetris the perfect game? I got, I would have some, some rough times with Tetris. <laughs> Let's just move on. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. I played for five minutes. I still see falling blocks in my dreams. It's poetry, art and math, all working in magical synchronicity. It's... Cancel everything that has the word synchronicity in it from now until the end of time, please. Perfect game. You already said that. Tetris. Tetris. Oh, God. Tetris. No. Okay. It's one thing to have a preview to the trailer, but when your preview to the trailer is just part of the trailer, (laughs) then you need to stop that shit, okay? I don't get it. It's a combination of Tetra, Greek for four, and tennis. Tennis. The Russian inventor, he likes tennis. Hazel. Yeah. This game isn't just addictive. It stays with you. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Hank, only ten other people in the world have seen what you're about to see. It's called the Game Boy. Tetris. <laughs> just his face. I want to see it again. About to see it. Oh, it's- oh my God. It's like my son. <laughs> Called the Game Boy. Package of Tetris. It is a boy. Can you get us the rights? The Soviet Union had worldwide rights. Nothing gets out easily. I'm gonna go to Moscow. You're walking into a country that still considers America enemy numero uno. Okie dokie. What is happening? <laughs> enemy numero uno. Okie dokie. <laughs> 
sure you don't have to talk to your wife about this first? Pioneers have to bet the house to win. But not literally. Listen. Have you ever heard our apartment this quiet before? This is the inventor of Tetris. Your game is brilliant. I'm gonna make you I don't think he invented it. Mr. Rogers, have you negotiated with the Soviets? We're here for Tetris. We've seen this door like a detail. What do you say? I don't speak Russian. The most powerful man in Communist Party is watching you and your family. Do you know where your husband is? What the hell is going on? The world is changing, and Soviet Union will not be left behind. You want to play with the big boys? What is happening? This is how the world <laughs> works. Where is my money? This is insane. We can't protect you. Sometimes you gotta forget the rules. This is a video game Argo. This is what we're watching. And if I am not mistaken, Argo is completely made up. <laughs> not completely made up. It's based on a true story in that they had to get people. But it like it was not nearly as dramatic as the movie made it sound. So the thing that I'm missing is who are the people in it? Oh, Taron Egerton. Okay. Who we know, apparently. This is criminal. Soviet Union is about to implode. They're lying. Everybody's lying. The cavalry is coming. We don't have time. I have a plan. Oh, come on. You guys are the kings of cliffhangers. Is this a, a show or a movie? Film. Okay. Thank God for that. Because I could see people making this into a show. Not the bad. Rated R. How am I supposed to take my kids to the movies to see how Tetris came about? Gosh. Are you hungry? Then come on by to Reese's Gossip Grill. Order up. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Riss's Gossip Grill, the Patreon-exclusive celebrity news and gossip show that literally nobody asked for. I am starting a new job and I'm just days away from going on a vacation, so for once in my life, I barely care about celebrity news, but I tried my best to grab a few headlines that, again, I don't expect any of you to care. Oh, if you do, man, do I really hope I get a celeb-loving listener to this show. Uh, I don't expect you to care, but like I always say, find yourself at a party, family gathering, don't have anything to talk about, just talk about this shit. That's what I do all the time. I just tell people random celebrity information, and it's just like, uh, it's a conversation filler. And it's way more interesting than small talk. Anyway, that being said, let's jump right in. Guys... Let's start off with the relationship I never saw coming. I think I mentioned last Gossip Girl that the latest relationship I didn't see coming was the one between Matthew Lawrence, Matthew, yeah, Matthew Lawrence of the Lawrence Brothers and Chili from TLC. Well, guys, this one trumps that to me. I think I, I don't even know, man. Avril Lavigne. Avril Lavigne is with, who do you think? You're probably thinking of some like, Really lame, like new metal chode, right? Who did she date before she dated Chad Kroger? 
Uh, oh, she dated someone who I've literally, someone named Youngblood? Don't even know what that is. I'm sorry, Youngblood's a person. Uh, I don't know who that is, I meant to say. And she was dating, I'm sorry, dating, I mean, she was married to Chad Kroger, and she was also married to Derek Wembley, I think his name is, from Sum 41, but I think she was only dating Youngblood, whoever that is. Anyway, I'm excited to announce that Avril Lavigne and Tyga confirm relationship with a kiss. Avril Lavigne and Tyga confirm their rumored romance with lots of PDA on Monday during Paris Fashion Week. The skater boy rocker, who, did you know she's 38? And the Rack City rapper, who is 33, were photographed kissing and holding hands at the Mugler and Hunter Schaefer party. Uh, do you know who Tyga is? I know he's a rapper. The only thing I know him from is being the ex of Kylie Jenner. Anyway, let's move right on. Okay, let's talk about the show that I love to hate. The show called And Just Like That. For those of you who are unfamiliar, that show is the sad sequel to Sex and the City. Uh, if anyone has either heard of or seen the first season of And Just Like That, it is depressing. It is generally quite unfunny. And it is trying so hard to be woke. That being said, I could not stop watching it. Anyway, um, if you haven't fully given up, you might be happy to know that And Just Like That Star teases season two will be, quote, very different than the first. So, this one of the stars of And Just Like That, um, Sarita Chowdhury. And this is the lady who plays realtor Seema Patel. Teased to page six, the second season of the show, which will come out, I think, pretty soon, will be very different from season one. She said, they're almost finished filming, and this season is proving to be far funnier than the first. Thank God, because the first one wasn't funny. Um, also, if you care about Sex and the City people, you should already know this. But this new season will feature... Aiden Shaw coming back on the show. That's right, Carrie Bradshaw's first fiance, toxic, quote unquote, nice guy, Aiden Shaw will be coming back because Chris Knott was killed off in season one, uh, spoiler alert, aka Big, and now they're bringing it back this shithole who no, I'm sorry, I was gonna say no one can stand. I would say he's a, a very controversial character. I'd say people are 50-50 split. I find him a fake nice person who uses their niceness to be controlling and judgy, but some people find him very, um, very charming. This said, if you don't know the show, sorry, I don't remember the actor who plays Aiden Shaw. Let me Google it right now. Uh, he is played by, guys, show me faster. He is played by John Corbett, who literally, I just cannot see him in anything without thinking of Aiden Shaw. So, like, I just, I can't stand John Corbett. But I'm sure he's a very nice man. Let's move on. In things I don't know anything about news. Okay. And since I don't know about this, I was like, should I not talk about this? But, like, no one will shut up about it, so I gotta mention it. Celeb news and reality TV show fans are all collectively losing their shit. After news that Vanderpump Rules star Tom Sandoval cheated on his partner Ariana Maddox, Maddox, 
who is also from Vanderpump Rules. Uh, Maddox found out that Sandoval was having a, quote, full-on affair, according to insiders, after seeing an sexually explicit video of him and Raquel Levis, who is also a Vanderpump Rules star. So basically, there are these three people on the show Vanderpump Rules. This is a reality show that I'm pretty certain is in the same universe as Real Housewives. I think it's like a spinoff. So three stars of that show are in some sort of love triangle. Two of them, don't know if they were married or just boyfriend and girlfriend. Anyway, the guy from that relationship cheated on another girl from the show. Um, I felt like I needed to share this because no one will stop. Literally like 90% of page six's social media content and website is just consumed by this. And the guy who cheated on his partner looks like an absolute tool. Uh, he looks like a poor man's version of the guy who hosts My Lottery Dream Home. Have you seen that show? If you haven't, I'm going to plug My Lottery Dream Home because boy, is that host full of vim, vigor, and boy, does he have a distinctive style. Well, Tom Sandoval seems like a cheap version of that. Again, don't know who these people are, but like... Someone just sent me a, a recap of the timeline of events because you know what? When there's a huge piece of celebrity news that breaks, if I don't know who's involved, like I feel like I'm missing out. So I'm going to become invested, even though I don't know who the fuck these people are. And last bit of news. Pete asked me to report on, oh, do I know how to pronounce this? Ja Morant? I don't know. This is in basketball news. John Morant from the Memphis Grizzlies is getting quite the reputation these days. Now, the interesting thing is everyone seems to be reporting on something he did last year, and I don't understand why that's in the news right now. Uh, apparently, he punched a 17-year-old in the face, and he admitted to police that he hit the 17-year-old first, but he says that he acted in self-defense noting that the boy had become the aggressor by throwing a basketball at Moran's head and lifting up his pants as a sign of wanting to fight, according to the Washington Post. Uh, Morant then told the police that the boy said he was going to come back and light this place up like fireworks. Morant then filed a police report about the boy's comment, citing threats made to his family. So apparently this happened like after a basketball pickup game. Um, side note that I won't go into too many details. My, I recently found out, very weird, that my father was in a pickup basketball game once, and my dad's friend got shot and killed after that game. So you know what? I say don't get involved in basketball games with strangers. Second, I would say they're pointing out that this is a boy, not a man. Guys, I was in this situation with children once. In Philadelphia, there were gigantic children, and they were mad at me. And I was thinking, if these children tried to fight me, what am I supposed to do? Because I'm in my 30s, but they are way bigger than me. Guys, okay, maybe John Morant swung first, and that's not right. Okay, I'm not defending it. I'm just saying... I don't care if it's a teenager. He might have been a gigantic teenager. And teenagers are fucking terrifying. But I will say, also, if John Morant wanted to, like, stay out of the drama, he should not have swung first. 
Long story short, this is a shitty story, but I don't know. I'd be afraid of a teenager too. Anyway, now this said, this is just some backstory to say that John Moran is um, unhinged lately, I guess, because he is in trouble again. Now, this is more recent. Police in Colorado are currently investigating John Moran's actions when he posted an Instagram live video in which he displayed what appeared to be a gun while in a nightclub. First of all, do people still do Instagram live videos? Also, are you fucking stupid? (laughs) The Glendale Police Department confirmed that the incident took place at a bar in Glendale, a small enclave surrounded by Denver, known for its strip clubs and shopping centers. The department said it is investigating whether Marat might have broken any gun laws. While I do think it's stupid, I immediately felt like, why? Aren't you allowed to just, like, have a gun? Like, almost everywhere in this country? But there's more to it. Um, first of all, a source told ESPN it happened at Shotgun Willie's, which is a apparently gentleman's club. Uh, ESPN contacted Shotgun Willie's on Monday, and the person answering the phone repeatedly hung up on the reporter, which I find funny because it's not their fault. Anyway, so that's what I'm saying. Like, why is this a big deal? Colorado is an open carry state. Although, apparently there are exceptions to the law, including the carrying of a firearm on federal property. I'm sure Shotgun Willie's is not federal property. But also, it is illegal in Colorado to possess a firearm while under the influence of alcohol. Also, NBA rules prohibit a player from possessing a firearm while on team property or traveling on team business. I don't think this was team property. I also doubt this was team... Well, I know Shotgun Willie's was in team business, but was he in Colorado for team business? I don't know. I do feel like some of these fucking articles, like, are dancing around the point. Um... Anyway, in the video live streamed by Morant, it's not clear whether he was intoxicated, but others around him are shown drinking. I will say if he was stupid enough to put the video, he, he's probably drunk. Or he, like, thinks he's untouchable. Anyway, I gotta say, guys, in, in looking for articles for this week, I, I feel for some of these, like, celeb news reporters, but there are so many articles that aren't articles Like, I'm telling you here, like, I'm reading things that, like, could be the case why John Morant is in trouble, but, like, no one is verifying them yet, or at least as of yesterday when I, when I wrote down this piece of news. I almost covered something about, uh, how Justin Bieber apparently was giving out party favors that were possibly a jab at his ex, Selena Gomez. But then as I read the article, it was like, some people say these things were party favors. But some people say that this was actually a gift Justin Bieber received and that it's wrong. They weren't party favors. And I'm like, why is this an article then, bitch? Like, confirm and then write it. I don't know, guys. Just make me tired. I just try to give you the news. Just try to give you the realness. Anyway, I'm going to go, guys. Thanks for sticking with me. Have fun. Okay, bye. If there's a movie that you've heard of but don't really feel like watching because it looks like it could be bad, but something about it made it seem like you could watch it, maybe, but you really can't see yourself watching it, then you need Pete. It's time for Pete Ruins a Movie. 
Hey there, listener. Today I am uh, here to ruin a movie for you, and it is called The Devil Conspiracy. And this is a movie uh, that came out last year. <sighs> and it's it's a movie that I think one could be tempted to watch for the plot, but I'm here to ruin it for you so that you don't have to spend your time doing that. There's a few different like one-line descriptions of the movie that are out there. The first is uh, coming from IMDb. It just says, quite simply, a cult steals the Shroud of Turin for wicked purposes. And then uh, another kind of goes down the path of a powerful biotech company has a breakthrough in technology that allows it to clone history's most influential people. Uh, behind this company is a cabal of Satanists who steal the Shroud of Turin, putting them in possession of Jesus Christ's DNA. Now, if you don't know what the Shroud of Turin is, it is a piece of cloth that was used to wipe the face of Jesus during his passion, which would be his trip to being crucified. There was a point where people thought, oh, so if Jesus's sweat, blood, etc. is on the Shroud of Turin, then we would be able to extract Jesus's DNA and make a new Jesus. It's also worth noting, just in case you're curious about the actual item, the Shroud of Turin, that uh, it was first mentioned in 1354, and the Shroud was initially denounced by the Church in 1389 uh, as a fake. Currently, the Catholic Church neither endorses nor rejects the Shroud, and in 2013, Pope Francis referred to it as, quote, an icon of a man scourged and crucified, end quote. In 1988, radiocarbon dating by three different laboratories established that the shroud material was from the Middle Ages, between the years 1260 and 1390. This test has sparked debate of its own, with some scholars questioning the test result on the basis that the sample tested may have been contaminated or may have been taken from a strip of the shroud that was added later. I don't know why you would do that. All of these fringe hypotheses have been scientifically refuted by carbon dating experts and others using actual evidence from the shroud itself, including the medieval repair hypothesis, the biocontamination hypothesis, and the carbon monoxide hypothesis. The dating of the shroud nonetheless continues to be questioned by some. Thank you, Wikipedia. Depending on your belief structure, uh, you might say, is a clone of someone the same as the someone? And some of these types of ethical questions do come up in this movie. Okay, they don't come up in the movie, but, like, the movie's so confusing, you come up with those questions. Which is kind of genius. So we start with uh, Lucifer being sent to the middle of Earth, which is where hell is. We know that. Hell is down, heaven is up. And he gets chained up to a rock by Michael, the archangel, who's black. Progressive. In fact, Michael the Archangel is played by Peter Mensa, who is the most famous person I can recognize in this movie. And I know him from his appearance on Midnight Texas, which is a silly spinoff series from True Blood that I think aired on ABC. So Michael the Archangel plants a sword into a rock and around the sword is a chain. And that is why Lucifer is stuck in hell. And then we cut to modern-day reality, and we find a skeptical art history student named Laura. Evidently, her thesis is about how artists who channeled or felt God in their work 
sort of, you know, like God guided them or they built things to represent good and evil at, at odds with one another. She thinks that none of the artists actually believed in God or the devil. So she sets herself up to be the prime target in this movie. <laughs> she has a priest friend, too, who is also named Michael, but this is Father Michael Marconi. And as you might expect from the description, a cult of mercenaries come in and steal the Shroud of Turin during its exhibit. Michael is killed in this process, but he also really believes in the Shroud of Turin, God, good and evil, all that stuff. So he says with his last words, Michael the Archangel, use my body if you need to. And of course, the Archangel takes him up on it. Then we meet Dr. Laurent. Like, we kind of cut to a whole new place now. So we have about three places happening. Uh, one will go away, but the other two will remain. And I will uh, tell you which one's pretty soon. Now, I want you to recognize we have two characters named Michael, uh, one character named Laura, and a Dr. Laurent. <laughs> Dr. Laurent is a DNA scientist who clones brilliant dead people into children. He has a little boy version of Vivaldi play the violin during his auction. He has his auction where he sells off clones of kids to rich parents. Michelangelo, for example, goes for over $90 million. <laughs> so we're going to clone Jesus from the Shroud. We kind of get that right out of the gate. Except Dr. Laurent says that they'll be cloning Lucifer. So that throws me off a bit. And it continues to throw me off through the whole entire film. Another part of this is, quite literally, <laughs> Lucifer was thrown, I guess from heaven. A hole was bore into the ground <laughs> to essentially the center of the earth, if you will. And that is where Lucifer stays. But the hole still exists. And so there's a cult of people who guard this hole and they kind of um, make sacrifices to the devil and expect one day that... Lucifer will be able to come up through it and, you know, take over the world or something. And so this old woman uh, kind of oversees this cult. Uh, and so that's where she lives. She lives in a compound surrounding this hole. To try to explain to you one more time, what they're doing is, and I know you're tempted to turn this off at this point, but what they're trying to do is, here's the, here's the hitch. They want to clone the body of Jesus because the body of Jesus could hold an eternal that being Jesus. But then what they want to do is somehow put Satan into the Jesus clone so that Jesus is like Jesus comes out in birth, but is the devil. But basically they want to create like, if you will, a Jesus box <laughs> and put Satan inside of it so that Satan can masquerade around in Jesus's body. You sure about that, honey? You know what? I don't know what's going on either. So Lucifer, by the way, is certainly represented in a physical form. But at, at a point when he becomes free, uh, which I know I should know, but I'm not really sure how it happened that, <laughs> that Lucifer became free. There's probably a part that I'm missing, but they should have made it a little more obvious then. <laughs> Lucifer... After that, it looks like he just blows away in the wind. But really what seems to happen is he becomes a... <clears throat> this is hard for me to say. A smoke tentacle? Or like a flying smoke worm? That is what goes into Laura. Not 
through where you think. Through the mouth. <laughs> yeah, so since she's the only one who doesn't puke it up afterwards, uh, she is the one who gets to bear Jesus' body, I guess. And so now we've compounded the issue of me trying to explain to you what the skull is trying to do. Because now Lucifer's essence is inside Laura's body. But also inside of Laura's body is Jesus' body. <laughs> And sometimes Lucifer comes to the surface, I guess, in Laura's body. And I don't know that it ever really gets into Jesus's body. So at this point, I want to sort of refer back a bit. Remember how I told you Laurent cloned Vivaldi and then Vivaldi was there playing the violin really well? I always sort of took cloning as you're sort of cloning the vessel. You're not cloning the mind or the spirit or anything like that. But they kind of approach this whole cloning thing as you're cloning the, the whole the whole thing. <laughs> and so if Vivaldi can play music that well, it leads me to believe that they're not just cloning the body. Which makes me think that if you're cloning Jesus, then are you like... <laughs> so then what happens is <laughs> Michael gets to Laura, but she is sort of like infected with Lucifer. And she doesn't trust Michael because he's not Father Michael Malconi. He's instead Michael the Archangel, who's a bit of a badass. Oh, by the way, he's not black on Earth, <laughs> but he will be again. <laughs> but as I was saying, she doesn't trust him because he's dressed up like one of the bad guys so that he can blend in and get some shit done. So they escape through some tunnels, but I forgot to tell you about uh, one of the demon monsters <laughs> that lives on Earth. A lot of demons live in hell, but there's one that seems to take up residence here on Earth. And uh, he's never happy, uh, and I don't know if he has eyes, but he does have a mouth. And he's one of the guys who can kind of really put a beating on mortal Michael the Archangel. <laughs> but at a point, mortal Michael the Archangel jumps down the hellhole, and there's like beasts and shit all over the place down there. And all the women and children that they sacrificed to Satan come back, and they talk to Michael, and they're like, hey, get us out of here. <laughs> So we come up with a situation now where we're sort of bouncing between two worlds. In one world, it's Laura being pregnant, and then in another world, it's hell, which there's a joke there that I'm not going to bother to make. So Laura is pregnant, but because she has the body of Jesus sucking the life out of her, and she also has Lucifer sucking the life out of her, it looks like she's probably dying too. And she tries to kill the baby inside of her by drinking Clorox, but it just doesn't work out. And then she starts murdering people, but then she regrets it immediately after, which makes you think like she is possessed, but not really possessed. Or maybe she's possessed by her like negative side that is is winning against the positive. I, I, guys, I don't know. So after the Clorox incident, Lucifer, possessing Laura, tells Dr. Laurent that the baby inside of Laura has independent thought. And it has an affection for its mother, Laura. At th there's 25 minutes left in the movie, and I still don't think I understand what's happening. <laughs> Meanwhile, in hell, Michael just keeps telling all these, like, women and children who are coming to him for help. He's like, get me my sword. Just get me my sword. And they're like, we don't know where your sword is, bro. And he's like, well, find my sword. Bring it to me, and I'll take you home. I don't know if they knew what home meant. I don't know if they thought they were going back to Earth. But spoiler alert, I think they're going to heaven instead. So everybody can't find the sword, and then suddenly they find the sword. 
So like I said before, there was about 25 minutes left. Maybe there's about 15 at this point. So it's almost like timing-wise, we needed to get Michael the Archangel the sword. When he gets the sword, he is able to fly away. And he flies up through the hole, back to Earth. By this point, Lucifer has left. Um, He went back into Laura. And also, along the way, the Archangel Michael had some sort of revelation where he seems to understand what's going on. So he flies through the hellhole, he finds Laura... And he goes, hey, Laura, your child isn't evil. And I'm like, what? Again, it's the body of Jesus, but like Lucifer can't take over until he's born. I don't, I genuinely have no clue how this is supposed to work. At a point, too, they decided to cut off all of Laura's hair and put a bald cap on her. And she looks terrifying, but it's because she has all of her hair underneath a bald cap. So eventually Laura has a baby, but it's not Lucifer. And if it's not Lucifer, does that mean it's Jesus? And if it is Jesus, is it a clone of the body that Jesus, like if Jesus was like a cloud worm, not a smoke worm that took over a human body, you know, then is it a body of Jesus without the, the, the cloud worm? I, <laughs> okay. So what are you confused about? When Lucifer came to power and he brought up all of his demons from hell and they took over the earth, they were going to blow up the hole so that nobody would end up in hell again. Well, duh, Michael's like, let me just blow this bitch up. (laughs) So he blows it up. Everybody's stuck down in hell. Hold on, hold on. He keeps his promise. (laughs) Because Michael ends up down in hell. Oh, and then like this hell monster demon guy just starts killing everybody who works for the old lady who runs the cult because like that's what happens when you deal with evil like evil doesn't owe you shit michael the archangel ends up back in hell and he goes down there and he tells all the women and children he goes i'm gonna take you home we never see them again and then we see a cardinal from the church and he is hanging out with laura and they have a little kid so he's helping raise the kid we're just going to say the kid because it's easier at this point and for some reason they're walking through the woods maybe this is a budgetary thing but they're just walking through the woods and behind a tree far away is the old lady who ran the cult and she looks at the boy and he turns around and he looks at her and she goes lucifer and then the boy (laughs) breathes out some smoke worms and then sucks them back in and that's the end of the movie that's deep shit isn't it No, it's not. (laughs) This movie sucked ass. It was really boring. I thought they took took an interesting plot, which I thought maybe if you, the listener, heard that plot, you'd be like, oh, even if this is bad, it might be kind of good. (laughs) Nope, it's all bad. The writer for the movie is credited as Ed Allen, who has written nothing else, produced nothing else. It's definitely a fake name. And I would love to know who actually wrote it. There are no trivia pieces. There are no goofs or anything like that listed on the IMDb page. But what I can tell you is that the budget for the movie was $5 million and it was made in the Czech Republic. Now, I don't know what $5 million US dollars means in the Czech Republic, but what I do know is that the gross worldwide was $959,000. So it didn't make back its budget but I don't know that anybody thought it would. I think they're probably expecting it to succeed more on VOD. I don't recommend that you see this movie, 
what we had here was a few different things happening all in the same movie. And I would have liked more if they picked one or the other. One was this eternal fight between good and evil represented by Lucifer and Michael the Archangel. This took place in a dark, rocky, hellish landscape, and it didn't really appeal to me much at all. And then we had this mad science meets cult storyline happening, which I would have much rather seen more of. Working with the science, even to explain it poorly, probably would have made it a lot more enjoyable for me. But ultimately, the movie drags a bit, and it clocks in at an hour and 51 minutes. So if I were to offer some suggestions, I would certainly say that you could cut out a lot of boring stuff that happens in the middle, really tighten things up by having shorter scenes of boring events. Given what they got, I think the actors did a fine job, but ultimately the major flaw is the story itself. I've actually been waiting a long time for a sci-fi movie to be made about cloning Jesus, and it was really a bummer that this one kind of blew it. I can't even say that if you like some of the actors in it, who I haven't mentioned, <laughs> that you should see it. But you know what I will say? If you're a really big fan of Ed Allen, which you're not because he hasn't done anything else, then you should totally see this. And if anybody could tell me who actually wrote this, I would love to know.